Welcome to Tice Talks, episode 45, with guest pastor Cody Cool, all the way from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Cody is the pastor of Grand Rapids Baptist Church. Today, we're going to be discussing the politically proactive church. Wow, what a topic. I'm excited about this whole interaction because it's where my heart is. Yeah, and Cody is too. I'd love if you follow anything that Cody talks about or anything they him and Shonda do on social media. They are very politically proactive. He's a right-wing extremist. <laughs> well, welcome, Cody. We're glad you're here. So, Pastor Cool, it is so good to have you with us. You've been pastoring now in Grand Rapids for how many years? 11 years this December. 11 years. Man, that is just amazing. And God has done a wonderful work out there. You, uh, you're, you, you started off with Benton Road Baptist Church. It's called Breton Road Baptist Church. Now it's Grand Rapids Baptist Church. A lot of our people call it the GR Church in town, but uh, we love serving there. It's a wonderful place. Yes, I've I've been there. I've just I've watched it expand, and people are coming. You had a concert there a couple months ago, like with 2,000 people in the services or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? we had Sean Foyt, who's politically involved in just bringing awareness to the tyranny that we're seeing in America. And we hosted it, and a lot of people came out, and it was it was a, it was a wonderful event. Uh, don't agree with everything that no. uh, Sean Foyt and them uh, stand for, but most of it. It was, a, it was a wonderful time. When it comes to the politics of it, you know, I find this. Yeah. I tell people all the time that we have, uh, we are in a huge family. When you got saved, you were born again into the family of God, and we have some strange relatives, you know. So, uh, and that's true. And, they, and some some of our relatives think we're the strange relatives, but but these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and and uh, we're going to either. Uh, Jerry Falwell used to say we're either going to hang together or we're all going to hang separately. And so on certain issues, we just need to just unite. And then if there's if there's something we disagree with and disagree agreeably, but let's let's uh, fight Satan, not each other. huh? Amen. I, I think it's important for us to join arms and work together against tyranny and then sort out all those um, biblical differences a little bit later, but we definitely have an enemy we're fighting as a church, the ecclesia, and uh, it's important that uh, we we know who our enemy is. You so, know, it's the devil. So we have Brother Cool here because uh, we've had a a spiritual emphasis week where we have um, uh, talking about maximizing your life, and I asked him to come in so we could uh, interview him because uh, specifically because he is very very. Uh, politically active uh, there in Michigan. And I want to ask you some specific questions that I think will be a help to people who listen. There are some preachers that are afraid. I had a guy walk into my office one day uh, several years ago, probably now, it's got to be about 10 or 11 years ago. And he said, I just want you to know I'm offended by the things that you talk about uh, in in the pulpit. He said, you can't address these issues. It's just not right. I said, uh, wait a minute. If God's word addresses something, then it's right to address it. Amen. And uh, I said, if, 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 if a politician gets involved in something that is, that is a biblical issue, then it's absolutely right that I address it. So here's, here's my first question. Is it right or is it even legal for a pastor and a church to get involved in politics. And do you have any biblical examples of that? Yes. It's not only do we have a right to be involved in politics, we are obligated, especially as pastors, to be involved in civil government. 
Um, when I think of politics, I made this joke last night that poly is made up of two words, poly meaning many, and ticks, what are, which are blood-sucking insects. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of those people within government, but I think it's extremely vital for Christians and pastors to understand that it was God who created the institution of government, and so it's our obligation to be involved in the public square, which is where we get the word ecclesia, where we get the word church. It meant public square or public gathering, and that's where laws were formed, and Plato talked about that, and Aristotle talked about ecclesia, and then Jesus started the church, and he said, I'll build my ecclesia upon this rock, upon me. And so the church was not relegated to just a building where we just had our holy huddle and talk about God. We are supposed to be involved in the public square because that's where laws are, are made. And God created government to be a tyranny unto evil. And when government begins to be, be a tyranny unto good and to lock down churches and to tell us as pastors what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to say, we need to be involved in politics. If, if you don't think we should be involved in politics, and if you want a biblical example, like ask the children of Israel if Esther should have been involved in politics. Right, right. And they, he, she was in a totally and completely secular culture. She was. This was not the nation of Israel, but she was the, uh, she, God placed her in a position where she could influence the king. And I think that's important that we understand that we are the salt of the earth. And if we don't speak to these things of public importance, then we're not being the salt. We're not being the light. Now, to be the light, I think, talks about giving the gospel message out. But being the salt is being the preserver of a nation, Amen. and and we need to be that preserver, and uh, uh, we need to just uh, get involved then. I tell our people all the time that we're not—it's uh, not that I'm being political when I speak behind the pulpit. It's that politicians are being spiritual. They're acting spiritual. And so when they are speaking on moral issues that are unbiblical, it is my obligation as a pastor to speak up about those things and against those things and to mobilize our people to speak up in the public square about those. Because if not, our freedoms are going to be infringed on. Like, we're not going to be able to worship like we have experienced for the last 200 years. It's, a, it's really important. Just think about... Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they impacted an entire Babylonian empire. You think of Paul interacting with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, but he was also a ruler of the synagogue, which meant he was a ruler in politics as well. They didn't bifurcate politics and religion during Jesus's day, so when Jesus was interacting with Nicodemus, he was interacting with the um, political elite as well, and well, so it's important. Wait a minute, I'm just, I'm just shocked. <laughs> uh, because I've never heard the word bifurcate before. And so bifurcate, <laughs> yeah. But separate. <laughs> separate, yeah. You, you, you don't do that. So that, that, that is, that's so true. Uh, what do you say to, to those who say to you that politics has no place in the church? Again, it's, it's not that I'm being political. It's that politicians aren't staying in their lane. So when you look at the biblical formation of government, it was designed, again, to be a tyranny unto evil, to be the last resort for society to sustain civility. So if the family broke down and the church isn't doing its job, 
the last line of defense for a civil society is the government is to be the sword. Um, if, if, if nothing is directing your inward character, then outwardly you go to jail. Right, so God created government it, just in case all of these other institutions that He's put in place fail. So there is a solution, and the solution is Christians to be what Christians should be, 100%. and that means we have to speak up for truth. We have to speak the truth in love. Yeah. I, I, I remember when we were uh, back in the 1970s, before you were born. <laughs> I remember um, thinking, why should we get involved in politics? And uh, and and my thought was this. Listen, it's not my responsibility to tell an unsaved person to act as though they're saved. So I'm not supposed to, uh, to tell somebody that's not saved not to get an abortion. I'm asking them to apply biblical principles. But if here's the deal. If I don't stand for what is morally right in the public square, and then I say, okay, you go ahead and kill your own babies, then there'll be a time, like in China, where they're not just saying, okay, you go ahead and kill your own baby if you want to. They're going to say, we're going to mandate the killing of your baby, and you can't have more than one or now more than two children. And if you do, then you're going to be forced to have an abortion. If we don't stand for what is right, then what is wrong will eventually be forced upon us. Absolutely. And so that's when you have to ask the question, like, like who's going to be in rule? Who's going to be in charge? And and, uh, and so when uh, transcendent morality is, is um, you think about like, like who is the author of morality? It's, the, it's God who is who's unchanging, right? Like morality comes from God because God is the standard of morality. And if we aren't talking about these things in the public square and persuading people, I'm not talking about coercing every, anybody or forcing people, but at least persuading them. Uh, about this morality, I think that we are going to get into a, a, a place where the government is dictating how many children you can have, what you can say behind the pulpit, uh, how many people that, that can attend your church based on safety, in the name of safety. Yeah. It's, it's going to be dangerous. What government structure most uh, supports uh, uh, a biblical life? That's a, that's a great question. Well, the, the, the thing about government structure is that it's designed for, uh, for a civility, right? And, and I, I, personally, I believe that capitalism is the um, greatest structure, government structure, for uh, civility. It's, 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 it's honoring our God-given rights to keep what you earn and to express your creativity and and, and ingenuity. Um, but the question is, like, how do we better America, right? And, and this is the big question of the day. Like, how do we better America? And when it comes from the Bible's uh, perspective or God's perspective, it always comes back to the individual. Would you say, would you say that capitalism has never been misused? Oh, for sure. And that's the thing. There's no government structure that can't on be misused. Earth yeah, that... that because we're dealing with sinful, self-centered, proud human beings, and there's no government structure on earth that's perfect. But the one that best exemplifies freedom and liberty and Christian expression would be capitalism. Well, you find that in the Bible. I mean, throughout, when, when you look at the, in, the, in the Old Testament law, he, the idea of buying and selling and possessing your own lands and, and uh, 
and uh, making sure that you take care of your, your employers, employees, all of that, uh, different terms, but the idea of, of buying, possessing, succeeding, moving forward, uh, the idea of, uh, of, uh, of, of doing those things and progressing, there's, it, is, it is promoted. I think that's why... I think that's why in any country that you go and there's total freedom, you see the Jewish people very much successful because they're they are they're creative, in, yeah, and they because they are inherently they are applying these principles that have been passed down from generation to generation. And the reason America has been successful is because our founders said, hey, look, here's some Bible principles that lead to success, led to Israel's success. And when Israel ignored those principles. They they fell they everything fell apart. When they applied those principles, they succeeded, and that's true in any area. Freedom is so essential. Uh, you think about it, like where does the whole idea of freedom come from, Doctor Tice? It comes from the Bible. Like when you think about the thesis of the Bible, it's going to be freedom. It's like freeing the Jewish people out of the bondage of of Egypt. Egypt yeah. It's like it's like the truth will set you free. It's like he's setting the captives free. We're free from fear. Like the whole theme of the Bible is freedom. And our country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. In John Locke's writings, you find that he has 2,500 references to the Bible. And the Magna Carta and the Mayflower Compact and in our Constitution, it is, it is, the, the Bible is embedded throughout the all of their their writings no hesitancy to mention deity to mention the creator to mention uh, those things that are of god or that are biblical well, not none whatsoever no hesitancy what country on earth dr tice um is is the most moral country in general who who helps more other who helps other countries more than america who, like when you when you look at an airplane, who created the airplane? When you look at the light bulb, when you look at uh, all of the uh, the, the amazing uh, uh, inventions of the world, it was born out of capitalism. Is born out of really what it is is freedom to create and then keep what you have made. You have a right to keep those things, and that's a wonderful thing. Now, now we uh, we want to make one thing absolutely clear: you're not saying, nor am I saying that we believe that all the people that are the leaders of the were perfect or even are perfect or that capitalism is perfect. We're saying that, that the idea of free America is the, and the idea of freedom within the culture and the idea of capitalism is the best for governing the wickedness of man. At best government is God using wicked men to control the the wicked appetites of other wicked men and themselves, and we just believe it's the best thing. So, so the the next question on my list here is: so are we putting our hope in America and not God when we express our political views? I don't think so at all, because liberty and morality are mutually inclusive. You can't have one without the other. Because if you have liberty and no, no morality, all you have is That's anarchy. That's and if you have morality without liberty, you just have tyranny. And so they're mutually inclusive. You need them both. I think it was John Adams who said the Constitution was really written for moral people. And as long as we're moral, the Constitution will be in place. 
which would say this, then maybe the reason God's allowing the tyranny in our country is to say to Christians, wake up and be moral, be what we're supposed to be. Uh, I was sharing with you the other day that a hundred and five million people in this in this country uh, claim to believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. These are Christian people. Mm-hmm. These are real gen- Christian people. Seventy three percent of the culture says they they uh, be- believe in Jesus, but they're uh, out of those sixty percent of that seventy three percent say they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That means only forty percent of that seventy three percent, which uh, averages out to about 105 million people in this country who believe that, that Jesus Christ is God and he's the only way to heaven. Then what we need to do as Christians is be the light, be the salt in this earth, and we need to add, and be make sure that we're living right so that we can have God's blessing and protection on us, and that will bring God's blessing and protection on the nation. Amen. Amen. And that's the, that, that is the goal. It used to be in what in the early foundings of our country that, um, that even in our schools and in our churches um, was taught individual character. That's not being taught anymore. No. Individual character is not being taught in public schools. What's being taught is to, to uh, join forces to fight against xenophobia and homophobia and all the other phobias that are out there and neglecting the individual character of, of, of the person. And so you see now this rise of neo-Marxism and and um, intersectionality and and everything else that's that's coming up, which views life from the collective. So, so when you think about from the biblical perspective, we see we see God sees everybody as the individual, and and the individual is held accountable, and we need to work on ourselves before we're out there trying to change the world. But from a humanistic perspective or neo-Marxism today. It's viewing people as the collective. You're just a you white gotta, man, or you you're get, just, you know... you got to do everything for the common good. Yes. Yeah, or, and, and it puts you in the different groups yeah. to separate you. It's disgusting, yeah. it's evil, and it's so unbiblical. And that's, that's why I speak about this in my church and why I'm educating our people biblically that this view is wrong. We have high schoolers in my church. We have college students in, in Grand Rapids who are being taught this evil indoctrination of viewing life as a collective with and neglecting the individual character of a person yeah so we're we're putting even in age-wise you're a millennial you're a generation x we're dividing you're a baby ourselves boomer, you're a you're a you're a you're a listen i my dad when i was a kid my dad was 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 raised uh uh as an immigrant from lebanon um my dad i would say to my dad dad we, back then <laughs> i was uh, back in the '60s, when I was a kid, uh, we would uh, we'd be playing on the playground, and and we would play with Civil War, and w- one group would be rebels, and one would be Yankees, and so I went I went home and I said, "Are we rebels or are we Yankees?" And he said, "David, remember this: we're Americans." I asked him one time, "What's our sign?" Because people were talking about the signs of astrology. I said, what's my sign? He said, David, remember this, you're a Christian and the sign is the cross. That's it. That's the only sign you need. Um, We need to understand that we are his, we are his body. We're here to represent him and we need not to allow this division. I love what, what uh, Ken Ham says that there is not, we're not, we're not, uh, 
a, a bunch of different races, there's one race, and that's the human race, and we all came from the same parents. And, and so the Bible doesn't divide. The Bible unites. And should we celebrate distinctives and differences? Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, I mean, Appreciate it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're great things to have, absolutely. But, but we shouldn't. So uh, last two questions that I want to ask you because we need to sort of wrap this up. So what is the Christian's response to civic duty? And let me just answer let me just continue with the second question. And how should our listeners as Christians uh, in general be involved in elections? So uh, if so, what's best uh, and what's the best way to get involved? Well, if there's a like you said, if there's 106 million Christians, genuine believers of Christ in America, if they all just voted, we'd win every election. And we would retain our freedoms and liberties, which is essential for the spread of the gospel around the world. And our Christian response to our civic duty is is really simple. Get involved. We have a guy in our church who's running for state rep. We have people running for school boards. We have people who are who are, are, are active in, in, in uh, the public square in our city. Because God has called us to be salt and to be light, not just in our church or in our home, but also in the public square. That's so important to be salt where it needs to be salted, where, it, where, it, where we need to preserve liberty and freedom and righteousness and holiness and purity. Because broken people are desperate to find people who are whole. And, and they can't just be huddled in a church building. We have to be out there in the public square. And I think it's so important for Christians to be in uh, politics to be in government and and um, and if you're I not going to run for office, find somebody who is that you can support. A hundred percent. I think that's that's so important. Um, so I would just say, just get involved. Get involved and and be a light. Be good. Be happy. Be joyful. And don't be ashamed that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter where you're at. And stay morally pure, because we don't need the world looking at us. Say, oh, look at that guy's all speaking truth and. Or says he's speaking the truth, and look what he went out and did. Yes. I think that's so important. I think it's also important that we remember this, that no matter who you vote for, you're going to be voting for a sinner. I, 100%. I, I tell our people all the time, uh, people say, "Do I, ha- I don't like the idea of having to choose between uh, the lesser of two evils. That's what you're going to do every time you vote. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That we're all sinners. We all deserve to go to hell. And if I'm gonna, if if I'm gonna vote, I'm gonna vote for a sinner. So you're always voting for the lesser of two evils. So find the sinner that best represents your biblical values. Amen. And that's the vote. That's the guy you vote for. I talk to a lot of guys, and it's almost like they just kind of take a back step to politics. Say, well, God's just gonna put whoever's there anyway, so I won't get involved. But you know, we are gonna answer to God for how we lived our life and who we voted for and how we tried to help bring holiness and purity and godliness to the public square. We can't just stand back. we got to get involved. And my hope isn't in government. I hope everybody listening to this understands that. My hope is in Jesus Christ, the ruler, the sovereign uh, of the universe. I'm so thankful for that. Um, But we still will give an account for how we were involved in the evil doings of society. We have to bring righteousness and truth to a society that's broken and falling apart. And, uh, and when people meet us and they see us, they, and they, many of them come and get saved. We've had dozens of people get saved because 
they are woken politically, and then they realized, wow, the Bible has the answer to all of these issues in society, and end up coming to church, end up getting saved. It's just been a wonderful thing to bring revival. Man, so, so good. Such, such great things. We need to be the light of the world. We need to be the salt of the earth. And I, I'm so thankful for your stand. I'm so, so thankful uh, for what you're doing. And I would encourage each of you that are listening to get involved in reaching your community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. If we don't stand for right, uh, if we don't do what is right, then the world is going to be taken over by the wicked. Well, Jesus is coming anyway. Yeah, but he may not come for 100 years. And what are you leaving for your children and for your grandchildren? We need to stand for that which is right. And uh, I encourage you to do that. Don't make politics your God, but don't be afraid of standing for truth and, and recognizing that truth. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Cool, for being with us today. I'm so thankful for your work. I'm thankful for what you're doing. And uh, I want to we'll look forward to being with you. I'm going to have y- you and your wife uh, in our next uh, Tice Talks. And uh, I'm excited about uh, our audience meeting Shonda. She's such a, such a, addition such a blessing to you and uh, so you're we're going to have that so we invite you to tune in next time for Tice Talks we have more than a conversation